This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania, the podcast that tells the story of civil liberties. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. The two-year legislative session of the Pennsylvania General Assembly has come to a close, so this felt like a good time to touch base again with Elizabeth Randall, our legislative director here at ACLU PA. For regular listeners of the pod, you may remember that Liz and I talked back in the summer about what would be ahead for the legislature in the fall. In this episode, Liz updates us on how it all played out and where the legislature is headed when the new session starts in January. Then you'll hear from a sitting member of the General Assembly, State Representative Dan Miller of Allegheny County. Representative Miller joined us to talk about a civil liberties issue he was deeply involved in, and his take on the possibility for bipartisan criminal justice reform next year. Here we go. Well, Liz, the legislative session is just about over. You and I are recording this on November 8th. Legally, the session actually ends November 30th. Um, You were here on the podcast a few months ago. We were getting ready to head into the fall session. Um, We talked about a couple of bills that we will revisit here in a few moments, but I just had to give you the chance to say what's on your mind. What were the the highlights? Let's start with the positives. Uh, What were the highlights of the 2017-18 session at the General Assembly? So highlights are always difficult to talk about, I think, here at at the state level in Pennsylvania. I think it's important to remember that the way that we understand our work is both in a proactive and also a defensive kind of capacity. And so we had two big proactive wins on bills that we supported. Uh, The first was the passage of the clean slate legislation, and the other was on a um, driver's license bill that would end automatic license suspensions for people who committed non-driving offenses. And so I'd say those were the two big, big wins. So the driver's license bill was an effort to repeal automatic driver's license suspensions for people who um, had committed um, and been convicted of non-driving offenses. Um, So that will affect tens of thousands of Pennsylvanians every year who unnecessarily lost their driver's licenses, um, which causes a whole host of problems. Right, uh, and the and the mo- probably one of the most common is um, all drug offenses, right? Uh, that had these suspensions, and there were some other other non drug offenses, but that was that was the big one. That was the big one. Really, they were. Um, it was a relic of the war on drugs. The the height of that with the federal government um, back in the early '90s, and so this was really it had been a long time coming. Many other states had repealed similar legislation that was effectively forced on them by the federal government by threatening uh, loss of federal highway funding. Um, as a result. And so this is a good way to ensure that people who are trying to get back on their feet or who are, you know, who were convicted um, of some of those offenses are able to um, uh, not be in a position where they lose their license and sometimes drive on suspended licenses since they live in areas where there's no public transportation, et cetera, um, and end up sort of in this um, hamster wheel of offending uh, if they get caught driving with a suspended license. So that was uh, extraordinary. And it was a great bipartisan effort. It was um, Rick Saccone was the, the sponsor, and um, Representative Dan Miller had uh, had um, introduced the legislation in terms of uh, a resolution that was notifying the federal government of the, the, federal, um, the federal highway funding to make sure we didn't lose that. So in any case, 
so one of the other our other victories was um, the passage of the clean slate legislation, which allowed misdemeanors uh, to be automatically sealed from public view after a period of time has passed uh, without uh, a person being convicted in those subsequent years. So it would take 10 years of time uh, without any additional convictions to have your record sealed from public view. And the, the benefit of that is that people who have convictions on their record, um, it's made much more difficult for them to access basic basic things about getting back on their feet, whether it's housing, having to disclose that for on work applications, et cetera. Um, and so I think this was, again, it was another um, good start and also very um, well supported in a bipartisan capacity. So that was great. And Clean Slate, well, the thing that's so um, innovative about this is that it's automatic. You know, these crimes that fall under the Clean Slate Act, these convictions, you could already get them sealed, but you had to go back to court. That's what I think is so intriguing about this Clean Slate is that once a period of years passes and you haven't been convicted again, it's automatically sealed. You don't have to do anything, which right. saves people a lot of time and hassle. And it's, and it also, you know, it, was, it also saves the courts a lot of time. Um, and with some of those um, getting backed up or the, the time that it would take for somebody to go in and request that. And, you know, Pennsylvania, amazingly, is one of the, um, the nice things that we can say is that we're the first state to implement an automatic sealing procedure. So that's sort of what made it uh, even more, I think, uh, unique in terms of this. Other states have passed similar types of legislation. We're the first state to do it, um, to set up an automatic process yeah. um, to ensure that. So I want to ask you about the implications of those two bills, uh, clean slate and the driver's license, ending the driver's license suspension. Both are really re-entry type bills. These are bills that uh, positively impa- impact people after they've been through the criminal justice system. Um, that doesn't really get at the heart of mass incarceration, but you know they do have an impact on diminishing those ripple effects. What's your take, you know, as you observe the legislature, what's your take on what the passage of those two bills means? Is this a positive sign of things to come on criminal justice reform? I, I'll say a qualified yes in the sense that um, that I think, you know, with, with what we are trying to do in terms of our campaign for smart justice, which I know that you've covered um, before on the podcast, uh, that we really are trying to reduce the number of people who are incarcerated. And so... This, you know, these are not um, sentencing reform um, pieces of legislation, but at the same time, I think what we are seeing is that I think both nationally and even at the state level, um, there is broad bipartisan support for criminal justice reform. So there are national coalitions and sort of unlikely bedfellows that are getting together um, to try to work on uh, addressing some of these uh, some of these issues, particularly as it relates to mass incarceration. I think, though, at the the state level here in Pennsylvania. It's been, I think we've seen more movement um, in a bipartisan fashion for the reentry issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of nibbling at the edges, but I do think that it is, um, you know, some people are starting to put their toes in the water and test out how that might, um, how their constituents may respond to that, to whatever extent they think um, they are assisting people in a um, post-conviction universe. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be interest, however, in addressing you know, what we would like to see is a bit more, certainly some sentencing reform, and we'll get back to that when we talk about mandatory minimums. In addition to that, making reforms to probation and parole, which are also um, some important issues that are not necessarily at the sentencing level, but could 
if we're nibbling at the edges, I would like to be able to, you know, nibble more toward the uh, the center of the of the problem right. and get around um, to the other side of the edges. But yeah, so that's I, I do think that it's it's encouraging, but I would hope that the legislature can can see its way through to being a bit more aggressive to make sure that we eliminate or address some of the more egregious uh, problems that are putting a lot of people in jail in Pennsylvania. Yeah. All right. So I've asked you the highlights. Now I have to ask you, what were the lowlights? It wouldn't be a session at the state legislature without some challenges. Yes. So, you know, I might go back just really quickly for the um, for the highlights, just so that people understand if we, you know, because we, it's hard um, given the composition of the legislature, both for the, both Republicans and Democrats tend to be um, sometimes alternatingly um, not favorable to our civil liberties issues. Um, so, um, but a couple of things that that did not pass this year, um, the abortion ban, um, there was a double abortion ban that ended up getting vetoed by the governor. Um, the sanctuary cities initiatives and, and those efforts um, did not uh, run. Um, the There was a critical infrastructure bill that would effectively was looking to try to um, uh, criminalize uh, people who were protesting um, who might cause damage at um, some critical infrastructure facilities. The police secrecy bill um, that mm-hmm. would have gagged um, public officials from releasing the name of a police officer who was involved in um, uh, a use of force incident. And we also successfully, as a defensive campaign, uh, successfully stripped um, an anti-trans um, health care uh, uh, amendment from the chip reauthorization. So there are a couple of, you know, we, a lot of what we do here is trying to prevent bad things from happening. If we also have a way to, um, to celebrate some proactive things that we've done, we do that. But a lot of the work tends, a lot of our work obviously, um, tends to be defensive in that regard. Well, yeah, I, I would consider those highlights um, okay. in part because, well, I mean, yeah. in, in the, on the one hand, they're, mm-hmm. they're low lights in that why do we have to fight this nonsense? Sure. Uh, <laughs> but I would also consider them highlights because, number one, there was no will in the legislature um, in the end to pass these things. Um, and number two, I think particularly the trans bill, it's funny, it's been a year and I forgot about that, but... Um, it does provide us a vehicle for education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the work that some of our volunteers did, that our transgender advocacy coordinator, Naima Sanchez did, along with Julie Zapes, our senior policy advocate, uh, and obviously in tandem with you, um, that was like really effective, important work um, that I think got the message out there about why this matters for the trans community. Absolutely, and we had, it was a really amazing mobilization of uh, Naima did an extraordinary job assembling young trans people to come with us to the legislature and talk to legislators about what losing this type of um, insurance would mean for them and telling their stories. And I think uh, a lot of a lot of legislators hadn't met anyone uh, who was trans. And I think it it really put a like literal face um, to what the issue was that they were addressing. And I think you know, it was it was touch and go there for a bit. It took a lot of maneuvering and a lot of sort of back back room um, kinds of conversations to end up making sure that that amendment got taken off of the chip reauthorization. I mean, it was just a terrible, um, awful way to kind of utilize um, and exploit the chip reauthorization bill. So, um, but again, I think it it put the issue on the table in a very different way for the for the legislators, and um, and I think in that regard. 
you know, fortunately the outcome was good. Um, and so I can say this in retrospect, knowing what the outcome is, which is that it did provide us, as you said, a really good opportunity to address some of those issues because there was such an awful uh, proposal. Now, this is the end of your first session as our lobbyist, and the primary sponsors of almost every bill you mentioned will be returning to the legislature. So uh, don't hold your breath. We might be fighting those again and again. Oh, yeah. All right. So speaking of which, um, actually, here's a primary sponsor who's not back. Um, Matt Baker was the primary sponsor of the abortion ban that you mentioned. He's now serving in the Trump administration. But I had to ask you about reproductive rights. Because every session, um, regardless of who's coming and going, there's some battle we have to deal with around reproductive rights. Um, Governor Wolf has won re-election. Democrats cut into the Republicans' majorities in the state House and the state Senate. Are the abortion wars over, or are we just going to have to keep doing this over and over and over again? I once heard a legislator describe the legislature as professional wrestling. Uh, middle-aged, overweight white guys pretending to hurt each other. And it, 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 it feels that way around reproductive rights because it's like everybody knows what the outcome is going to be. Right. These bills will not become law. And right. yet we have these arguments repeatedly. Yes. And look, I think a lot of that is it's a lot of signaling. I think it is a way for many of these legislators, both on, on both sides of the issue, to put up a vote, um, to show their credentials in one way or the other. Um, obviously, it's not the, those who, um, you know, but the bans, like the double abortion ban, the, um, the Down syndrome ban as well, um, were both attempts to, um, to really make it, continue to make it an issue, knowing full well, for the most part, that if the, either of those bills um, went to the governor and one did, that the governor would veto it. So um, the to say the abortion, there's no way the abortion wars are over. And I think that will continue on and on. And I think, um, you know, to whatever extent, though, I mean, but I, it, it does, um, you know, sort of in the post-Kavanaugh universe, though, I think it's important for people, I can't sort of stress this more, is that while people may be concerned and certainly were in uh, with that Supreme Court nomination um, about the future of Roe versus Wade, um, you know, should... What we could debate all day whether or not we think that Roe would be outright overturned. I would find that kind of hard to believe, but I do think that they, that the court is certainly in a position to continue to chip away at any of the, those rights. But, but really, I think that level of protection is great. The problem is that the, most of these major decisions are made at the state level, um, and so it is incredibly important for our members and our supporters and our volunteers here in Pennsylvania to understand that. Um, let's say if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, all of that, um, that all gets kicked back to the states. That is entirely up to the state to regulate um, abortion. And so, you know, in that regard, and it's not, it won't just be abortion. It'll be contraception. It'll be health care. It'll be a whole, you know, a slew of other issues. So, yes, they're certainly not over. And I think that um, paying close attention to things that are part of the chipping away at rather than the big banner you know, which are threats. I mean, I'm not saying the abortion ban isn't a threat, but I think some of it ends up being um, uh, more of a political signaling and partisan signaling um, than it is a legitimate, uh, where they think that it's really going to pass and the governor is going to sign it. Right. All right. So I mentioned that this session legally ends on November 30th, and then on January 1st, um, it's swearing in day. And the legislature will be back. So you get maybe a month or so, yeah. a little over a month to relax. And then, I mean, the, the January 1st is swearing in, um, but then they really get started 
usually around the third week of January. So you're looking ahead, you're looking at the 2019-2020 session. Um, what are you anticipating is ahead for civil liberties at the General Assembly, for better and for worse? You know, a couple of things that I think we're looking at um, that we're trying to paying some attention to, I think, um, you know, a lot of the work and a lot of the bills that we focus on go through both the House and the Senate Judiciary Committees. Um, both the chairs from this current session retired from the legislature. So Senator Greenleaf and Representative Marsico, respectively, um, they both retired and they were chairs in the in the Senate and the House of those of the Judiciary Committee. So, um, you know, who ends up being chair for both of those committees is going to be important for us. So I think we need, we're looking very closely at what uh, what might happen there. And we thought we had a sense of who the uh, Senate Judiciary Chair would be, um, which was Senator Rafferty, who a bit surprisingly um, lost his, um, his re-election on Tuesday. In any case, we're looking at that. I think, um, you know, what I'd say sort of broadly speaking, I know that um, we will be focusing a lot on criminal justice reform. So for next session, one of the major campaigns that we are going to be focusing on is attempting to block the reinstatement of mandatory minimums in Pennsylvania. Those laws were ramped up and put into full effect as a consequence of the war on drugs and do incredible damage and really only serve to ramp up mass incarceration. Uh, They do nothing to improve public safety. They don't decrease recidivism. So there's lots of good reasons why we don't need those back. And that attempt to reinstate mandatories in 2015, Supreme Court ruled the process by which someone was sentenced to a mandatory a crime that was um, that carried with it a mandatory minimum was ruled unconstitutional. So for you know since 2015 we have not Pennsylvania has not had mandatory minimums um, on the books. So um, we are going to be running a major campaign to prevent those from being reinstated. Senator Greenleaf, who is the chair of Senate Judiciary, um, had been an effective stopgap to those moving any further. It never got out of his committee. Um, with him retiring and with a question mark around who the next chair will be. That's why we're sort of paying very close attention for many reasons, but certainly around um, the mandatory issue is why we're looking um, at uh, who will be the chair and who will end up being on those committees. Um, So that'll be a major campaign. Um, I do think we have a couple of opportunities to sharpen up some legislation that sort of got halfway where we wanted it to. So civil asset forfeiture, I think, was something that uh, we had a really strong bill to begin with. Uh, it got watered down. Uh, we're hoping that we can strengthen some of the the provisions in there. But really, a primary focus will be on criminal justice reform issues. All right. So this is the last question. Uh, we are, as I mentioned, we're recording this on November eighth, two days after the election. Although as we sit here, it feels like we've had a month's worth of news just in the last two days. But um, with the attorney general and everything else happening, but I would have to I have to ask you your take on the results uh, from a, from a civil liberties perspective. What were your takeaways from this election? We've discussed this sub, I think a few times. It's a difficult, you know, we in the past do not tend to look at the legislature necessarily in terms of R's and D's. We have had supportive Republicans on some issues, we've had really bad Democrats on other issues. And so um, in some of our most important, um, the issues that we focus a lot on tends to be a mixed bag. And so, but what I do, so 
we will have to see in terms of how the people who have been newly elected, how they vote. Um, we did lose quite a few moderate Republicans. Um, and as a result, I mean, I think so a couple of things. I think on the good side, the more balanced um, you you had mentioned at the beginning of this that the we had there were some uh, that the Democrats picked up seats in both the House and both in the House and the Senate. Importantly, in the Senate, that means that the uh, Republicans no longer have a supermajority, which is a good thing, I think, for either side to not have supermajorities. And additional members of the Democratic caucus in the House tightens that gap a little bit. So there's a bit more balance, um, which may force perhaps more negotiation uh, and collaboration. That's a good, that's on the, the bright side of things. What I do worry about is that it may actually force the legislature to become a bit more polarized. Mm -hmm. And so that while we see that there's a better balance between the two, the two parties in the legislature, both in the House and in the Senate, um, that with uh, some of the middle disappearing, that it may become more contentious and polarized. Uh, so I'm not really, I'm not sure how that's going to, how that's going to turn out. Um, we do have, you know, if we have uh, several new women that have been elected. I think we had, I haven't checked yet, but I mean, the, the, even the number of people who, uh, the number of races that were contested, there were still several, a lot of races that were not contested. Um, but more people ran for office, which meant that we have a lot of new people. And I think fresh blood is always a good thing um, in any kind of context. And some of it were, and so these are not all Democrats. I mean, there were a lot of re Republican retirements and they, um, the new representatives are Republicans, you know, so they, they didn't flip those seats, but they're new people. There's some fresh blood in the legislature. So hopefully um, there might be some different thinking, uh, people with different perspectives, backgrounds, et cetera. So um, I'll be interested and excited to see how um, all these new members start fitting into and sort of acclimating into the, um, to the mix in Harrisburg. All right, Liz. Well, thanks as always. Enjoy your downtime. Thank and you. you can get energized and get ready to go in January. Very good. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Thank you to Liz for dropping that knowledge, as she always does. You can learn more about our legislative work this session by visiting aclupa.org legislation. We are 15 episodes into speaking freely, and for the first time, we get to hear from a state legislator. State Representative Dan Miller of Allegheny County was actively involved in helping to pass the legislation that ended the suspension of driver's licenses for offenses that are unrelated to driving. Here we talk about what the repeal of that suspension means for the more than 20,000 people impacted by it annually. Representative Miller is also a former public defender and a member of the House Judiciary Committee, so he provides his take on the possibility of more criminal justice reform in the new session of the General Assembly that starts in January. I'm with State Representative Dan Miller from Allegheny County. Dan, session has wrapped up, and we're looking at a few of the issues that uh, that came up here in the 2017-2018 session. And there's one in particular that you were involved in that I wanted to ask you about. It's the issue around the suspension of people's driver's licenses 
for offenses that have nothing to do with driving. Uh, you were actually uh, actively involved in that issue. You had a joint resolution that had to be passed in order to repeal that suspension. Uh, how'd you get involved in the issue? So uh, thank you, uh, first of all, for uh, uh, our, you know, having time together with you. Uh, and I'm very excited uh, for our success in this area in relation to driver's license reform. Uh, funny enough, really, it um, I, I have a very I always had a very positive relationship with one of my uh, uh, colleagues on the other side of the aisle, uh, Representative Sicone. Um, in some of our joint conversations, we had stumbled across an issue that uh, we came at from a little bit different perspective, but in relation to driver's license reform. Uh, he had um, uh, heard from a constituent that kind of caught his attention. And, and I um, we used to be a public defender. I remember a couple of the issues that were kind of percolating on my desk. Uh, and I had stumbled across other states' interests in, um, in reforming how they do driver's license reform. And so the two of us uh, got together, um, obviously a Democrat and a Republican. Uh, we had a series of meetings with it. Uh, and uh, we advanced two pieces of legislation that you referenced. Uh, one I authored uh, specifically, the second one he authored. Um, the first one uh, was HR 76, which was mine. Uh, that one there was very similar to previous states at the time. I think we there was like maybe 40 states had, had already done this. But what in essence we had found was um, in order for us to uh, redesign our license suspension schematic, we had to get federal approval, in essence, a waiver off of what I think in my head anyhow was a 1991 Federal uh, Highways Act that required states to suspend licenses for a series of non-driving issues. Uh, so we mirrored the other states in that resolution. Uh, and thankfully, that one, I have, obviously, as you know, has uh, uh, passed both uh, chambers and is uh, working its way through the administrative process. Um, the second one, of course, was uh, the, the larger uh, bill, which was something that um, mirrored more of Rick's uh, work, um, which um, totally removed many of the license suspensions that were on the books and will have a big impact on making sure that people still have access to transportation uh, for them to go to work, uh, go to uh, treatment when needed, go to see their family, uh, medical visits, whatever it could be, basically live life without having what at times can be spiraling uh, license uh, suspensions that really were no longer or were not proven to be a benefit to the uh, the state, the taxpayers, or um, anyone for us to continue that um, that plan. I think maybe with that final comment, you answered my next question, but I just wanted to ask you as someone, you mentioned you were, you were a public defender. Um, you've had direct contact with folks who have had to go through this. Um, you know, obviously you can't speak for people who have had this experience, but just as someone who's had that direct contact from where you sit as both a state representative and as a former public defender, what do you think this means for people, the, the positive impact it'll have? I think there's a lot of positives. Uh, you know, um, obviously we did not touch uh, the suspensions that were the result of like a D, DUI, sure. right? So uh, you drive um, while drunk or drive while intoxicated with any type of substance with it, those penalties and suspensions will not be changed. Right. I will tell you that as a public defender, I one at one point had represented uh, an individual whose license was suspended for 18 years. Wow. Okay, now don't get me wrong. I'm sure there were a lot of validity in how he got there. 
meaning he knew what the uh, punishments were and made other choices. Um, while there, I'm sure there were some that some of us could be justified with, there were others that probably weren't, right? So 18 years, stack, 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 stack. And for almost two decades, that person would not be allowed to drive a car. In Allegheny County in particular, when uh, we were dealing with and have dealt with um, transportation cuts, uh, um, we have uh, places in the county where it's very challenging to get from a, 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 a borough to the city. Um, so when you have a license suspension, it is a massive problem. So I do believe that this package of bills that myself and Representative Saccone championed are game changers in a lot. Um, there are aspects that we didn't do. You know, there's retroactivity questions, of course, that still exist and should be discussed. Um, we had some variations of different ideas as to how this could be implemented or what the role of judges could or should be uh, in, in some of these regards. And we uh, also amended the bill because there was a part of it that related to um, the failure to um, pay child support. So um, that was not something, to fed that's a federal requirement. That's not something the federal government was interested in granting any waiver to. So we had to um, uh, uh, do a little give and take uh, to get this as far as we uh, did this session. It's uh, tremendous. And I do think for many Pennsylvanians going forward, um, it is going to uh, be a positive. Uh, we still have a, a lot to discuss about how aspects of our criminal justice system or our, or our, our um, uh, sort of um, traffic laws or anything else, uh, how the um, punishment, so to speak, that we prescribe, um, how they are a benefit or not, uh, or a deterrent or not when they are imposed. Um, and that, yes, impacts licenses, it also is a question that should apply to fines and, and, and fees. It is a question that should apply to uh, sentencing structures. Um, uh, and, of course, uh, what some people like to push almost every session is the imposition of mandatory uh, sentences. And that gets into my final question for you is the, the session is all but over. Legally, it's over November 30th. Uh, there are no more session days scheduled. So let's look ahead to January when the new session starts. You've been reelected. You'll be back. Um, you were on Judiciary Committee this session. I expect that you're, you're expecting perhaps to be back on Judiciary Committee. We'll see. Um, we want you there. <laughs> but my question is just looking ahead to the next session, what do you foresee, particularly in this area around criminal justice law? Is there space for reform? Obviously, you know, I think you may have referenced I'm from Allegheny County. My district includes part of Pittsburgh. Um, uh, we are still reeling from uh, some of the aspects of this uh, summer which included um, the uh, Antoine Rose scenario, which uh, talked about some policing issues perhaps, but also in my opinion, still um, touches on aspects of criminal justice, generally speaking. Um, I was part of a, a group of lawmakers in Allegheny County who have uh, started to offer some suggestions as to what we can do both on the policing and the criminal justice side. And I say this, of course, in reference that the vast majority of police um, are just under supported in their work, but there are some things that we can do, I think, to help across the board. So um, in Allegheny County, uh, criminal justice reform is a, is a big issue. Um, I believe that in the next session, um, both my delegation, Allegheny County, along uh, where uh, Representative Ganey, Representative Wheatley, Representative Davis, uh, Senator Costa in particular, Senator Fontana, um, there will be a from us to continue this discussion in both uh, the Senate and the House. Uh, I also believe there will be larger efforts that go beyond the county um, that will show more of a statewide network 
Uh, and my hope is um, that those discussions will be embraced by the, uh, by the uh, chair uh, people of the Judiciary Committees. I think that both of them are going to be different. Uh, so um, hopefully we'll see an interest. Uh, there have been many conservative organizations as well who have sort of, I'll say, jumped on the bandwagon of, of questioning some aspects of our criminal justice system um, and what the benefit is long term. Um, we need to get into um, asking better questions uh, about these laws um, um, and kind of go beyond the mere um, sort of a um, law and order and then walking out and acting as if everything is going to be fine because, uh, you know, it's going to be a deterrent or something like that. So we need to do a better job. And I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that there will be more of an effort here. But that being said, I would admit to you that in my three terms thus far, these questions have been very challenging to get. Uh, some leadership to pay any mind to. So this is a better uh, environment for us to talk about these issues are uh, in, but I, um, I'm still hoping that we can find a chair who will uh, appreciate that discussion and, and, and work with us and the district attorneys associations and, uh, and perhaps some of your, uh, the ACLU's work as well and the Heritage Foundation and everyone else who recognizes that um, we need to do a better job in designing a system that yes, holds people accountable, but doesn't ruin lives in the process. All right, Representative, well, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for your insights and your work. Thank you. Good to see you. A big thank you to both Representative Dan Miller and Elizabeth Randall for being a part of this episode of the podcast. You can follow Rep Miller on Twitter at VoteDanMiller. He's also quite active on the Instagram. Follow him there at Rep Dan Miller. Liz and I are both on Twitter too. She is at Randall Elizabeth. That's Randall spelled R-A-N-D-O-L. I am at Freedom's Friend. And of course, the ACLU of PA is available on many of your favorite social media channels, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at ACLU PA. Hey, it's almost the end of the year, so it's time to think about your year-end giving. The fight for civil liberties never really ends, so we hope you'll consider a donation to the ACLU of Pennsylvania. Whether you're already a member and want to boost your support, or you've been thinking that you want to support us but just haven't gotten around to it yet, we've made supporting the ACLU easy. Go to aclupa.org join to be a part of the work we do to defend and advance civil liberties. And your donation supports both the National ACLU and the ACLU affiliate in your home state. That's it for episode 15. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, host, writer, and director of this here podcast. Until next time, be free.